And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. I'm generally unprepared for everything, so it's perfect. <laughs> we are we are peas in a pod, my friend. Yes. Well, I feel like philosophically, based on some of the things I've seen, on some of the links that I have for you, we agree on many things. We agree on many things. Uh, like uh, you, you, you sent me this. Um, it might have been in your signature. This link to the co-op theater East. Yep, that's uh, the uh, theater company that I co-founded. And there's with, a quote, uh, some friends out of grad school, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a wonderful quote on there. And I've never seen this quote before, but I absolutely love it. Artists need to create on the same scale that society has the capacity to destroy. Uh, I can't take credit for pulling that one in. That is uh, one of my, my theater partners, Ashley Marinaccio. And um, yeah, we have, a, we have some, I guess, mantras and uh, axioms by which we try to conduct the company's business. We've been a bit quiet as a company for the past several years, uh, especially in the past one year. Um, prior to COVID, our ongoing gig was a piece that we called Living Radio, where we would task playwrights to write a piece about the current news, but kind of tweak the news in some way. And some people went in a fantastic direction. Others went in a like, you know, Marvel stories, what if kind of direction, you know, like change one small thing and, and see how, how a story plays out. And uh, we would do them as radio plays and perform them live for a studio audience, uh, like 24 hour play festival style. Like they had a weekend to put this together with playwrights and actors. It was a ton of fun. It was a blast standing monthly gig at the crane. Once COVID hit, we had to stop um, doing it live, of course. So we did a few physically distanced editions which were, uh, you know, something of a trip to put together because uh, you, you run a podcast, you work a little bit in audio. So when you've got different people in different locations recording on their particular systems and then try to smush it all together into one cohesive radio play, it's, um, it, you know, quality was tough, but it was, uh, you know, we were there for the ideas and for the experience and to have us all gather in some small way as we were doing this whole physically distanced thing, especially right at the start of the pandemic. So unfortunately we haven't gotten back to it yet. Like I said, we did three editions that were live streamed on Facebook in 2020, but 2021 has not seen a return. I think everyone kind of got burnt out on any sort of uh, digital theater, or at least that was, that was my feeling personally. Yeah. Kudos to everybody who could do it, but yeah, it was, I was having a hard time with it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would I think that it would be more exhausting than actual theater. Not to say it's not actual theater, but live theater, I guess, is a more accurate, nicer way to put it. <laughs> it's just a different way to think of it. It's a different feeling. Um, I love live theater. I absolutely love live theater, independent theater, primarily because, as I, I think I alluded to, talking about living radio even with the technical problems or like technical limitations that we had of putting it together in a physically distanced way i'm here for the ideas like that's what i like in theater and i feel like we can get weirder with the ideas and explore a little uh more openly 
in independent theater. So that's why this is my world. It's my scene. Um, and I missed that. Um, I know it's a different limitation that you're dealing with when you have to be physically distanced. So again, that's another limit to explore, another um, confine to put on the art form to then find creative ways to work around. Um, but something about not being with people really hurt my relationship to it. So I love radio plays. This is this is, project was always a radio play thing, but it was really key to me that we performed it live. And that was the initial you know, impetus of the whole thing. So yeah, there's something about liveness for me that was missing and, and is missing in distanced radio or excuse me, distanced theater in any way. Again, it's, I hope I, I don't want to disparage anyone who's making it because there's some really great stuff happening. Well, I, I mean, I think that just not some thing. people gravitate to certain mediums and other people to others. And it sounds like you really need that, that audience response in order to really be on, on your game. For me, it's so integral to just the creation of theater. Mm. It's the, the art form that requires somebody to watch it for it to exist. And uh, the act of spectating, I guess, is such an important component to the creation of the art. And I, I like that. I, I, it's part of a, a big part of like what I try to explore when I make theater in any form. And uh, who is the spectator? How are they interacting with the work and why? Uh, I like to try to work that into the narrative whenever I can. And uh, yeah, without with the Zoom thing, I just, I, I don't know. There's also the whole pandemic um, depression <laughs> that, that all of us had. Uh, and I had a new kid right before this whole thing Oof. started. So, you know, being a stay-at-home dad for 11 months um, it was was pretty pretty hard to make anything at all yeah you can imagine and and the depression too it's it's such a weird thing because it's not like like i've gone through moments of depression some often it's after a big project but there's something about the pandemic that i don't know i i even as a writer i can't i can't describe that feeling it's so weird i feel like everyone uh, had that initial I'm going to do all of the things sort of reaction to this thing. Well, I have to be home. Yeah. Now I'm going to start the great American novel. I'm going to record <laughs> that record I've been thinking about. Oh man, that play idea? That's totally happening now. And I I had those reactions too. You know, here I am thinking like, oh, I'm going to be home anyway with this kid. Or both my kids. I have, I have two wonderful daughters and one was born literally February of 2020. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to be home. This will be great. We can the kid will hear me playing music and they'll see daddy being a writer and trying to write stuff and being a creative person and, and using this time of forced convalescence to, to do this. And it just didn't happen because there's a lot of other mental work that needed to get done. Uh, survival wise, I think for all of us through this thing. And um, yeah, it was really affecting and, and really, disappointing because it would have been nice to you know keep making stuff and uh even just at the level i had before the pandemic but it went from this wide open i'm gonna be able to do stuff to i can't even do the little i was doing before i had all this time so yeah it was it was rough i'm starting i feel like i'm coming out of it you coming out of it i feel like i'm coming out of it yeah i uh well you know I'd imagine it was it was probably a lot harder because you had a new child in your household. Um, for me, I don't have that. And I also, um, for the first time in my life, I lucked out financially right before the pandemic. So I had kind of a cushion so I didn't have to worry for a while. Um, and my philosophy in 2016, after certain somebody got elected, uh, was to use art as protest and to um, always create, this is why I love that quote, always put an amount of creation out there commensurate with the damage you're seeing being done. Like, that's why I love that quote, because it really goes, goes with the philosophy of the last five years. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was just knocking off all of these writing projects I'd been wanting to do for like 20 years. 
I'm not going to say they were good. Some of them I'm not going to even go back to re-edit, but I had to do it. And then I ended up making a film in July of last year, which is now being finished and submitted to places. And that was very much a pandemic film. It's about loneliness. It's about a guy who lives in his basement and he's dealing with a sentient black hole that's overtaking his apartment, which is basically the art life during the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Um, kind of hit that right on the head. Yeah, and it was, an, it was a wonderful art project, but as soon as I finished shooting it, I was kind of checked out. I was just like, you know what? Even if I know I have like another year of editing, blah, 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 blah. But I'm just so tired of this and I kind of would rather get back to work. Because <laughs> I really liked the work I was doing. I was doing this, but for other people. Oh, nice. And Very cool. When you can find the right people who are doing podcasts, they pay really well. And uh, prior to the pandemic, for the first time in my life, I was getting paid what I felt like I deserved. And man, I just wish that none of that had happened. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, you don't control the world, but you can control how you move through the world. How you react. Yeah, how you react. Yeah. But uh, I, one of the answers, though, to me feeling like I needed to go back to work was starting this podcast. Because I always loved going to film festivals. I loved going to book readings. I loved going to gallery openings Thursday nights in Chelsea. Can't do any of that. I can't talk to anybody about their creativity or their process. And so it started a year ago this month, actually, this podcast. And now we're in the 60s as far as the number of episodes I have. So, Wow, nice. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that even post-pandemic, I'll probably continue this because I really enjoy it. I think it's a, a platform that works for me. It reminds me of, uh, I listened to, um, I think about half of an episode that you had done a little while ago with a writer and, uh, just to, you know, get a sense of how, how you approach this, this project. And you remind me a lot of kind of what I do with my other podcast, uh, called go see a show. I started that in 2012, I want to say maybe 13, maybe 2011. I can't remember. Uh, I started it at least a, about a decade ago. And the whole idea was to go to see independent theater shows and then talk about the show with the artists afterward. My intro to everybody when they're like, so what do you do? It's like, well, we're going to talk about what you made and why you made it. And it started out really as, um, to be very honest, like a, a not a vanity project, but a, uh, a calling card sort of idea. I wanted to get into voiceover. I needed proof that I could do voiceover. So let's start my own podcast. What's it going to be about? I work in independent theater and I know independent theater artists. So let's do an indie theater podcast. And it quickly turned into like, a, oh, wow, um, A, this is a really great way to see a bunch of shows because press agents are giving me tickets. Uh, but B... I was constantly talking to people who are making cool stuff and getting ideas, like like learning from them what their approach is, what, how they think about indie theater. And uh, eventually, now it's I, I really think of it more almost like my community service to indie theater. Like I'm creating something of an archive. I can't get to everybody, obviously, but uh, you know, there's now there's now something of a repository of conversations about what was being made through this time. And to bring it back to what you were talking about with your podcast here, I've missed that a lot. I've done a few episodes through, uh, just to, you know, on different zoom shows on, uh, the work of the league of independent theater that I'm, uh, affiliated with. And uh, just talking about coming out of the pandemic and, and what the league was doing to try to help artists. But, yeah, man, it's having those conversations with other artists is such a great way to sharpen your own thoughts on why we do this thing, <laughs> this thing called like any any sort of creative pursuit. Uh, it's so easy, I think, to just get bogged down in the producerial components, like everything that you have to do to make art and or sell your art and or get people to look at your art that uh, 
it's nice to have conversations every now and again that are just about, oh, th- that that's what you're going for. Oh, this is the idea here. Well, what if we think about it this way? And like, you know, here's here's my inspirations, and it it, it really helps me to sharpen myself as somebody who pretends to be creative. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, you're reminding me now, I'd forgotten that I used to do this, is I used to go to the Anthology Film Archives every week and just do video interviews with whoever was screening a film there. And then I'd hand them off to the Anthology series. They were called New Filmmakers. I said, all right, here you go. Just put it on your YouTube channel, whatever. And again, it's just like a nice repository of who was there back when I was doing that. And it, it never occurred to me until this very moment while you were talking that it was a natural starting point for what would eventually be an arts podcast. <laughs> Makes sense. I never put the yeah. two together until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to make connections for you, my friend. Yeah. So I find you through this website called Haunted Manhattan because I was researching ghost tours. I'm interested in ghosts. And and I'm interested in in the story of of that kind of everything about it, I and I honestly don't know where to begin other than uh, where did this concept come from in terms of how it ties in with your theater background? Well, it's actually a real. I'll give the really simple glib answer, and then you know where I've gotten to, which is a more I think maybe. Uh, nuanced uh approach to this but the glib answer is that i found an audition in uh actors access and i submitted because i was looking for you know a part-time gig that seemed flexible um i walk into the audition i because i've always been interested in ghost stories and horror i'm a i'm a big horror fan and it just felt like a fun thing. I was like, oh, I, I can kind of do improv. I've been dealing with customer service through food service for years. Why can't I lead a tour? That seems fairly simple. Walk into the audition and uh, the person who's behind the desk was a playwright who, incidentally, I had recently interviewed for Go See a Show. And I was like, oh, holy cow. Hey, what's up? And it uh, turns out that person is Nora Monahan. They are uh, the playwright of uh, three of the four tours that Haunted Manhattan currently runs. And it was a nice, like, I'm at ease now. You know, I know this person. We've chatted before. I can I can just kind of do my thing and not worry if I, if I don't get into this thing. Well, sure enough, I get hired and I start doing this ghost tour of Greenwich Village. And what was brilliant about the way Haunted Manhattan ran their tours uh, is that they were they hired a playwright to write their scripts. They had hired a director to help their guides have some sort of performativity to the the um, the whole tour experience that which all came out of the founder, uh, my partner now Brent Peterson. Um, he was a ghost story guy. He loves to like take tours wherever he would go. And he moves to New York and he took, he took a tour that didn't really impress him because it felt like, okay, here's this place. And here's apparently there's a ghost and here's how they manifest. And they go to the next place and do the same thing. It was, was not like fun. And there was, you know, there was some historical data they got wrong. So what he started with Haunted Manhattan was uh, what he likes to call where horror and history meet. So we, do as much research as we can. There's still ghost stories, so whether or not you believe them, that's you know totally up to you. Um, but uh, we try to get the historical information correct. We try to make those connect- ties between the ghost story and the actual history, because let's face it, at, at their heart, all ghost stories are history stories. You can't have a ghost without something having happened. So um, the uh, yeah, like Haunted Manhattan had this like different kind of flair to how we performed. So again, the, the really like glib answer is, well, I needed a gig and I didn't want to wait tables anymore. And the uh, more deep answer is kind of what I got into there. I really like this stuff. I like New York city history. I like the ideas around what ghost stories represent to, uh, to a city and, and to the people who've experienced them. And all of that comes together into a really fun gig where I literally get paid to tell people's stories. 
and I'm now, I mentioned Brent's now my partner, like we are, uh, I co-own the company with Brent because I wanted to make sure that we we kept this thing going and uh, I had some ideas on how to get you know new guides in. We started a new tour and uh, it's become a, a big part of my, uh, you know, I guess, quote unquote, uh, survival job life. And uh, it's really fun. I, I get to, again, I get paid to tell people stories and I also get to pay other actors to tell people stories, which is really cool. How many stories and locations do you have right now? We do 13 stops with each tour and we have four tours. So there's plenty of stories uh, that we can't really get to because of physical, like the, the distance it would require to take a walk. We try to keep the tours to 90 minutes. They're usually more like 100, 105 minutes because we're just too excited to share this information. So there's a lot to say. <laughs> um, and, uh, but you know, you can't get to everything in a neighborhood um, because you just, you, you would have to walk too far and that sort of thing. Mm. And uh, we, so we do tours of Greenwich Village, which is mostly like the Washington Square Park area, the East Village, the West Village. So we start at the park, but then walk west of 6th Ave. And uh, also the former Five Points area. So downtown, like City Hall, Chinatown, Little Italy. I'd imagine the, the Greenwich Village is haunted as balls. I, uh, <laughs> because that's, w- where... There, that's where they dumped bodies during the other pandemics at one point if i remember correctly. you are very correct yes yeah, i think I read about that in the power epidemics, yeah. smallpox epidemics <laughs> uh yellow fever epidemics they would bring them up to uh, washington square park that was north of new york city back in the early 1800s um, yeah country so you could you could get the uh, they thought that was uh far enough away from civilization to leave diseased dead bodies which is i love sharing that it's funny because i'll tell that little bit of information on the Greenwich Village tour and you can usually tell the locals from any tourists if you didn't already because the tourists don't really get it and the locals are like oh my god seriously I'll say yeah we're, we're in Yonkers right now <laughs> and you know people will laugh because it's literally we are north of New York if this is the early 1800s um, but it's, if you don't know the city's geography it's hard to hard to get that ref oh yeah and that's something that surprised me when I, I first watched that uh, Rick Burns documentary about New York. Is He was showing New York City proper was just the tip of Manhattan and everything else was country. I'm like, whoa. Because <laughs> that's not the New York City anybody knows at this point. Yep. Yeah, that's why Wall Street is Wall Street. It was the wall at the end of the city. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what, what, are, what are some of your favorite stories uh, do, you, do you want to share? Is that too many? Favorite stories. I've got a, I mean, there's a lot that I really like um, to tell because I can have a lot of fun in the telling. There's, uh, I don't want to give too much away, so you should come take the tour if you really well, want to we'll hear them. We'll promote the but, hell out of this. Don't yeah. worry. Amen. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a story I really like to tell about a, a haunted dormitory at NYU that's just Ooh. really fun because um, I've actually had people on the tour who have lived there and who are like, oh, my God, you know that story? I said, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a ghost story. And they're just they're shocked that like, oh, I thought I thought only people who lived there knew about this. Um, and there's just a very particular story that we've learned that uh, gives me a lot of latitude to tell a very creepy story about a girl who thinks she's being followed by a ghost in the dormitory. Um, I love doing that one. And, uh, but one of the, actually one of the story, I'll show one of the stories that I don't get to tell on the tour anymore because we don't go by this location. It's not very scary, uh, which is also a reason I, we pulled it off the tour. Um, people, people who take our tours, I think, uh, you get a wide range of people who are looking for different kinds of things. And the best is the people who are like interested in history, but also really like the creepy stuff. So you can like, you can play at both ends of the spectrum, like, you know, ooh, I'm scary ghost story, and like also fascinating history. Holy cow, isn't this crazy this happened here? And they're they're into all of it. One of the hardest things is when you have a ghost story that's just not creepy and 
the history about it is super niche. So if you're not <laughs> into theater, you wouldn't be as interested in the story as I am. And that story is of the the Little Thimble Theater, which was I can't remember the exact uh, address, but it's where there's a Le Pen Quotidien on Fifth Avenue, just north of Washington Square Park. In the basement was a theater that was called um, the Little Thimble, and it just it had some really great history as a bohemian off Broadway theater. Uh, run by a guy named Guido Bruno. And uh, his business partner was, uh, I want to say his first name was Charles. You know his last name, though, Edison. Uh, It was Thomas Alva's brother, I believe, uh, who was his business partner. And they had this little theater where they did, like, crazy stuff, but also the U.S. premiere of Miss Julie, I've heard, took place in the basement. Again, so this is the sort of stuff that when I was learning, I was like, oh, this is fascinating. And then I share it with people on the tour. And it's like, yeah, there's one theater kid and everyone else just this isn't that interesting to them. Uh, The ghost story about it's also kind of kind of fun if you're a theater person, because, you know, all of us know that all theaters are haunted. It's just a it's a given. um, And it's a very theatrical sort of ghost, because not only have people claimed they have heard piano music playing as if like somebody's. Um, playing solo piano for an audition or something. Uh, it has been said that uh, residents of the basement or whoever would like have a store in the basement or whatever would sometimes return to the space and find everything in the room had been pushed off to the sides of the space as if someone had struck the space to have a rehearsal. Oh, that's great. I- I see. Yeah, I think so too. But you know, some, if you're not a theater person, if you're not like uh, coming at the uh, the ghost stories with this idea of like, oh, I love the theater as well. Um, it's just not as fun. But it's one that I I love to share whenever I can. And uh, I feel like your podcast has probably got the right kind of audience to appreciate that story. Well, I I think theaters are underused in the genre. To be honest with you the genre of the paranormal. I've seen it off and on in some pseudo-reality shows about ghosts. Uh, Like, I I don't know if you remember that old show, Unsolved Mysteries, from the 90s. Uh, With Robert Stack? Hell yeah, Oh, yeah, man. That's a great show. That's how Um, a lot of us got into this stuff, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. But they had one about the comedy store in L.A. Didn't know it was haunted. Yeah, and like really? they had famous who are now relatively famous. If you're if you're a comedian, you know who they are. Talking about their experiences working there, and like I don't know, there's something about that the that that space where people perform, and and also some of these places like the Comedy Store weren't always for that. For example, I think the Comedy Store was a club run by gangsters. Which adds that history element that you're talking about. Uh, and so then your imagination can run wild. Well, could this be? Could this be true? I would think, I mean, it sounds to me like you're a writer. Uh, you, should, oh. you should use that. This would be a really great in for a, uh, some sort of paranormal adventure in the fiction realm. Or do it as a radio play, and I will gladly direct it for you, my friend. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really into the same. I, I love that, too. Like, I love anything that references our, our work in the theater, our work as creative people, and that you can, if you could also put in that layer of the supernatural, like, because there is, there's always that level of unreality, right? Because we're playing with reality and with, uh, in, in many ways, conjuring in the theater, Right, like we are, we are conjurers. So, what do you, what happens if you literally take that right and add in the level of paranormal, ghost hunting, um, yeah, ESP, like uh, tele, telekinesis, and, and any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think that's a it's just a natural medium to fit in there. One of my favorite pieces that I've gotten direct gotten to direct in New York. Um, was with this uh, really great little series that used to run also at the crane called Shots. And they would do same kind of format as Living Radio in many ways, actually. They would give like writers two weeks to write a piece. They'd give an actors and a director two weeks to, to rehearse. And the very first time I got um, paired with this group and to direct a piece, uh, this really great writer, I want to say it was Kevin Brewer. Um, I hope I didn't screw up your name there, my friend. Um, but... Uh, 
It was called May the Force Be With You? Question mark Because the theme was Star Wars. And he wrote into the piece that there's um, somebody uses the Force and it has to actually work, you know, like for the for it to make sense in the piece. And it was a blast to try to stage because, again, you're trying to make magic and you can sometimes you can show the magic and it's just as fascinating when you like see it, how it worked. But then how can you? also trick them like give them a give them a little sense of like holy shit how'd they do that like i love that sort of stuff um so yeah i sorry to go off on a tangent but like yeah i i completely agree anytime you can put in this level of the the fantastic and the or whether you, whether you want to call it like again the fantastic the amazing um or the paranormal uh into the theatrical realm yeah i'm i'm on i'm on board that sounds great yeah I mean, you're not going off on tangents is what we're talking about. <laughs> but um, what? so where do you think the – I find it interesting that when it comes to history, history is history, right? Certain kinds of history are more interesting to me than other kinds of history. But suddenly it becomes all very interesting when you apply a paranormal aspect to it. And I was wondering if you have ever given that any thought. Why does this work? Why does it manage to hack – certain people's brains and make things more intriguing like i wouldn't care two craps about a nightclub in la that was run by some (laughs) gangster like that's not a culture i particularly care about or an aspect of american history i care about but once you add a haunting that might be affiliated with that suddenly i want to know everything all right who got killed here who used to attend it regularly what stars were involved (laughs) (laughs) i guess the um I don't know. I've not really thought of it that way. I have thought of ghost stories, though. um, I mentioned this earlier. I I always think of ghost stories as history stories. And people on the tours have often asked me, like, why do you think these places are haunted? And my answer, when I'm I'm maybe not being so, I don't want to say cynical, but maybe just more realistic, is that People want to be tied to these places. They want to have some sort of connection to them. And one way that we can do that is via the ghost story. Um, we, you know, I I felt something here. And the reason I felt something here is because this famous event took place here. Or this famous person died here. Or, um, you know, this energy manif- this energy remains. And I am now in contact with that energy. That's not to in any way disparage anyone's ghostly experiences, or like if you felt you 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 think you felt something, or you think you saw something. I'm not trying to say like, oh well, obviously you just want to like connect yourself to some. I'm not trying to be glib about that, or like in any way accusatory. But it's like I do think that's why we we get fascinated, or that that's why we we keep these stories going, and. To get cycle back to your question though, like that's a really good. Maybe you just want to get even closer. Like, if this is a real thing, if there is a ghost here, then I need to know those details, right? I need to know all the little nitpicky things. So if and when I run into the ghost or I hear the spooky sound, oh, I know that it's this. I know it's this thing because I know this about the event, and that's like it, you can you can be the Charlie Day like connecting the red strings on the the. the conspiracy board that's maybe an answer but i just kind of riffed and came up with that i don't know if that's in any way makes sense no it's 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 interesting because one of the things i'm asking people on this podcast if they're interested in the paranormal at all is what is the purpose of ghost stories because even me a person who um i'm an admitted atheist on this i'm obsessed with this stuff and and there's no logical reason why i should be and so from a sociological standpoint, I want to kind of always continuously unpack what is the purpose of ghost stories? Why are we so fascinated by them? Uh, because there was one answer was, well, it goes into religion. Well, I don't know if that's maybe for some people that's true. But with me, that's not really true at all. To me, I think I think it's history. I think uh, I would recommend to you if you've not read this before. So forgive me if I'm giving you a recommendation for something you've already checked out. But uh, there's this excellent book by a guy named Colin Dickey called Ghostland. And it's 
It's absolutely amazing. Um, I've actually started reading it again, and I never read things twice, ever, because I feel like there's just too much to get to. But I want to remember more of what he talks about, because he tells essentially um, key moments of American history and sociological history via ghost stories to say, like, this is what the, the work that this ghost story is doing to either, you know, keep alive a particular um, story from the past or to change our relationship to it. Like he'll, he'll go into how ghost stories change based on different, uh, attitudes toward society as you move through time. Just, it's a really amazing, really brilliant book. It's the kind of book about ghost stories. I wish I were smart enough to write and had done the research to write. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out and try to get Colin Dickey as a guest on your podcast. Yeah. I bet that dude's I'll, fascinating. I'm going to order that book today and <laughs> I'll also put a link to it in the description since we've mentioned it here. So Nice. Yeah, I, I recommend it to everybody who's interested in this stuff because it blew my mind. I was like, this is what I'm trying to do with Haunted Manhattan. Yes, I love that somebody's thinking of it this way. And again, saying it so much more eloquently than I ever possibly could. Can we talk about your 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 guides that you have on Haunted Manhattan? Oh yeah, I mean we, we have just some recently characters. So we, that's the fun part of this is we do this all in character. So um, I play the professor, who is of course our Greenwich Village guide because half the stops are at NYU. So of course you have a professor. Our East Village guide is a good friend of mine. Her name's Laura. She's a fabulous actor, and she plays Frankie the bartender because it's the East Village, you know. Obviously, it's a bartender. Of course. Um, it's a couple of different bars that we stop at on the way, too. I mean, we don't go in, unfortunately. That's not part of the tour. Um, but yeah, so Frankie the bartender is kind of this very dry, witty, uh, very funny guide uh, to your af- to the afterlife um, as you head through the East Village. The West Village tour is uh, led by Vinny the poet. We have two really wonderful guides, Percy and Danielle, who play Vinny. Um, Vinny's, Vinny's kind of a a hep cat, a little out of time, uh, who's, uh, the, our West Village tour is a lot of artists and bohemian culture. So it just made sense to have that guide. And then downtown, we have this enigmatic rogue by the, by the name of WM Blackwood, who will guide you through the five points. Uh, they are a publisher of macabre fiction and true crime stories. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all, you know, pretty obvious. I think, uh, to most people, like this is kind of tongue in cheek, um, and I think that's that's a big part of what sets us apart and makes us more fun. Uh, the best part of I think our tours is not just that we have done the research and we try to get the stories right as they were told by the people who who told them, but that we've hired performers. You know, these are people who are out here like slinging stories because it is fun for them. Like, yeah, this is a gig. Yeah, we're here to get paid. Please tip us. Like, we're not, (laughs) this isn't just like a labor of love, obviously. But it's so much, isn't it more fun to like get a tour from somebody who's like having a blast because they love to talk and share stories and perform the stories in some way and add in a little bit of humor and personality as opposed to someone who's like, I don't know, just maybe like a goth kid who's, you know, trying to catch orbs on their camera some night as they lead tours. Like it's, it's just, we have a different approach to it. And I think our approach is more universally, uh, it's, it's a more, has more universal appeal and is to, at least to my mind, more fun. No, it sounds great. And I'm actually going to, for the sake of transparency with all the listeners, I will be booking a tour at some point before this airs so that (laughs) we have our well-rounded experience uh, coming through here. Um, But no, I I love it. And and I love this idea of, I mean, yeah, you're making a living off it, but that doesn't mean it can't be your passion too. You're you're a working artist. You were talking about, you know, you were making stuff and getting paid for it. It's, it's great to get paid for doing things that you love. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not only that, but there's not, I don't know if it's like this with you, but man, before the pandemic, I wasn't nervous about any of the stuff I was doing. 
I've I can't tell you how many clients I've had where I was always nervous about it. I was always just like unsure if this is what they wanted. But when you when you have a, a gig that pays well and you're so freaking sure of what you're giving them, that's a great feeling. I know it's why I became a partner in the business and didn't just like you know leave or just keep working as a guide. It was like, I, this is a really cool thing and it's fun. And there's opportunity here to not only get more artists like me, a, I, I don't want to say easy cause it's not easy. It requires a very particular talent, but you know, kind of simple and condensed, uh, bite-sized gig that you can do at your leisure when you have availability. And so I can hook people up with that, but I can also provide a really fun opportunity for people to learn some New York City history and also a couple small jump scares and spooky stories along the way as well. That's just a that's a blast. It's a win-win for everybody. I like I don't know about you man, but I like to do these sorts of tours one whenever I go anywhere. Um if I'm in another city, I love to take a tour. Like I don't you want to there's there's so many things in a city that you would easily just walk by. If you didn't have a local there to say like, oh, hey, that building you just walked by, by the way, here's how it fits into the history of the town that you are currently in. That's cool. Like now I'm fascinated and I and I want to learn more. And But wait, there's also a ghost story and there's also this <laughs> cra- crazy actor who's like having a blast telling me this story in a theatrical way. What's not to love? Yeah, it's it's just so much fun. I really dig it. It's in some ways, you know, I get a little... I can. I think it's easy to, to to feel like you know. Oh, this is maybe a little simple, or it's it's childish, or like you know, why aren't you you know making high arts? And it's like, well, I can I can do both. Like I can I I try to make my serious stuff, and then I get paid slinging stories. Both are great. Yeah, and who's to say like it's not like I, I always at some point. In this podcast, I am going to talk about this whole concept of high art because in the film medium, comedy is kind of treated that same way. Where it's just like, why why are you making comedies when you can make you know poetry? And I'm like, who's to say comedy isn't poetry? Like, it's kind of the same thing. Same argument. It's just like if you love what you're doing and and you're getting through to people. I mean, the hardest thing in the world with what we're doing is getting through to people, getting them to just listen and getting them to pay to listen. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so hard. Well, I, I think in, this is not to be too overly grad school about it um, or, you know, defend it when it doesn't need offending or defending, excuse me. But um, there's, I think there's real political work being done when anytime you get people to be out in public in meat space with people they don't know, on the streets with some sort of embodied experience. We are such a mediatized world. I mean, here you, you listening to this, you were listening on a podcast. So like, did it come through your iPhone? Are you listening on your computer? Whatever. But we're not with you. This comes back to what I was talking about earlier. Like that, that's great. Like there's a lot of, I love listening to things. I'm a record nerd. I love radio plays. I, I'm starting to try to learn how to watch movies because I've been really bad at it for a long time. Um, I, I like mediatized things too, but um, why I love the theater, why I miss theater all through the pandemic was I love that embodiment. I like to be in the space. There's something different about when you are w- with other people. And if I can offer you a chance to like, you know, the number of times I've had like parents and child sort of tours and you can tell that the kid is like, oh man, I got to put away my cell phone for the next hour and a half. And by the time they get to the end of it, they're like, they're the ones who are like, that was so much fun. Thank you so much. I had, that was really cool. And they're like, they're asking their, their parents to, to take the dollar bills and put it in your hat at the end for the tip. Like That's really cool to me. And again, I, maybe I'm being a little too, uh, maybe I'm giving that too much weight maybe maybe there's not an, as much of that as i like to believe there is but again i think anytime you can give people an embodied experience that it, without a screen in between it's just it's magical it's a totally different thing and i i personally love it 
No, it sounds and and I wouldn't even like. I mean, you say that you don't know how prevalent it is in reality compared to how you're thinking about it. But you know, I one thing on here is I, is I will never doubt somebody's experience or interpretation of an experience. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense because I didn't experience it. So if it feels like there are a lot of kids who at first don't want to put down their phones and then they're thankful for it, I mean, great. <laughs> I believe it. That's kind of how I treat ghost stories. I'm yeah. not going to tell you your experience is wrong. Yeah. But tell oh, me my that, God. Tell yeah. me that story. I want to know the story. Tell me See, the story. You're very good at circling back to the subject at hand. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get better at being a business person because, like I said, I'm just an artist. I, I came to this as uh, – I came into working at Hunter Manhattan as a guide and – that's always going to be my approach to it. Like, you know, what are the stories? Are we getting the information right? Like, yeah. um, and can I get more stories? Like, that's that's been so much fun too. Adding into my tour, the stories that I've gotten on the tour is just a blast. And it's actually made it hard to, like, I, I'm learning our new tour, the Five Points Tour. And I've done that a few times this year already. And it's hard because, like, I'm like, I don't have, like, that steep... I'm not steeped in the history of this the way I was in my other tour where I could be like, oh, and I told this story. And so I had this person on the tour who's like, actually, I work in that building and here's what I know about it. And I can toss that into my storytelling. It just really enriches things. And I'm like the downtown tour of like, I haven't had enough people take this yet where I have all that that fun, uh, you know, other stuff to like toss into it and make it feel even more embodied to me. Because those stories then... Like I'm that cipher to, to get those stories to these this audience. And like I, I just need to get more. I need to be out there more often, learn more history, get more personal stories from people. And uh, so in one sense, it's like, oh, this is kind of hard. But in another sense, it's really exciting because now I'm just a sponge again to try to grab new stuff. Are you doing anything down by the bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge? Brooklyn Bridge is one of our stops. We just yeah. point at it, though. We don't... Um, we don't actually you know, get onto the bridge just to it would be too far away uh, with the route that we take. But yeah, the Brooklyn Bridge was a, for a time known as the Bridge of Death. So oh, yeah. there are ghost stories affiliated with the bridge and uh, some very gruesome history too, very true gruesome history. Um, the designer of the bridge died before they even started. <laughs> and uh, yep. a lot of cool history there. Yeah, something like 20-something people died just making it. Yep, most no, of the poor immigrants. No. Yeah. Yep. Nobody's, I don't know anybody's name who died making it. Neither do we. I guess kind of the point. But um, if anybody out there knows how to get that information, please pass it along. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we can get somebody from the New York Historical Society on here. Um, how late is the history that you're dealing with? We, you're not, is it like early 20th century? Usually relates back to, um, again, talking about how it seems like historical places are the most haunted. Uh, it usually dates to like when the primary history of the neighborhood in question is. So with uh, our Five Points Tour, the brand new one, a lot of that stuff dates back to early 1800s, mid 1800s. Um, there's going to be a little bit of newer stuff. Uh, because it is such a populated area and it is it, there's so much that's gone through there that you, you do get a little bit of stuff that dates into the 1900s. But for the most part, it's it's really like mid-1800s. Uh, Greenwich Village, same sort of deal, except for, you know, some of the couple of the stops, actually. There's one particular house that uh, I, I always love to stop at because people who grew up in New York who are a bit older than me remember the history of the house because like a very gruesome event took place there and the house was apparently haunted. So like I would say, so I guess the, I'm kind of going into a long winded answer to your question, but I, I think the short answer is we tend to shy away from more recent stuff. A, because there's not really a ghost, you know, like you don't get a ton of ghost stories about newer things. It's almost like ghost stories need time to really establish themselves and to be something that we can tell. Um, and the other is like in the few instances that where we've tried having newer information, it's, it's not felt good. Um, 
we had a stop, and I, I'm not going to go into the details, but we had a stop that related to some some more current modern tragedies. And I've had people ask me about more modern tragedies um, as we would go by locations that could be affiliated with them. They're like, they must be haunted, right? And it's like, well, if they are, we don't have like a concise story about it to really like share. Um, and be it, it would feel kind of it, it feel it's it's felt kind of icky, you know, to try to, especially when it's you know somebody that people could feasibly know, like somebody on the tour could know somebody who has a direct like they could have a direct line to that particular tragedy. Tragedy that makes it hard. Um, I think there's a a requisite distance to really enjoy a ghost story, uh, and and at the end of the day, what we're doing is entertainment. We're, we're we're trying to share history with you because history is interesting. We're trying to share ghost stories with you because ghost stories are fun. All of that is entertaining. And if you start to feel like, if you start to feel bad about the story you're being told, like that, that doesn't do yeah. anyone any good. I also feel for like our purposes. modern incidents that could translate into ghost stories down the road are probably still too politically charged at this point. There's also that. Yeah. Um, I I haven't really thought of it through a political lens. Like, the only real politics on my tour are, like, talking about Aaron Burr, you know? Um, <laughs> That's but, modern uh, politics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where do you fall on Lin-Manuel Miranda, my friend? Uh, so... You know, it's it's so we. I expressly try to tell people like there's no politics on the tour because I don't want anyone to feel alienated in any way. Um, I'm sure that my particular ideas on things is pretty clear, but it's also like that's not a part of of this thing here that we're doing. Well, I mean, I'm totally down for doing a podcast reenactment of the ghosts in that theater should send me information about that. We'll get that together. I'll let you, that would be, that would be amazing. You got to write it though, man. I have such a hard time writing stuff. (laughs) All right. So when I book this tour, we'll connect again and we'll talk about it moving forward. I'm actually going to be doing an an interesting uh, podcast on Halloween. I, I have yet to reveal this publicly, but I have secured an interview with Pazuzu the Demon. <laughs> I'm pretty okay. sure it's okay. going to re- require some trigger warnings. Because <laughs> he is a demon, and I can't control what he says. Is he coming to you live from hell? Like what, where, Oh, yeah. Where is, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. He's, they've got Wi-Fi. Mediatized via the, via the Ouija board? Or, or how are you going to do this? Zoom. Zoom is hellish enough for him. <laughs> Pazuzu Zoom is going to be my next uh, <laughs> theatrical warm-up. Pazuzu Zoom. Pazuzu Zoom. <laughs> yep. So it'll be you and then it'll be Pazuzu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh, thankfully we do not have... Uh, we have some malicious spirits on the tours, but uh, none have ever manifested themselves to people on the tour or to any of the guides, so far as I know. I think the comedy store ghost was malicious. I got to look this up now, as I I don't know enough about it's, the comedy store, but I definitely did not know that it was supposedly on it. I believe the show is available on Amazon Prime for like ads. If it's not, somebody must have ripped it onto YouTube. It's right, so famous. Yeah. It's the internet stuff's out there. Yeah, and uh, if I find it, I'll link to it in the description. Yeah, <laughs> send uh, it my way, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also, um, I'll, I'll definitely buy that book today. I think that the, the one that you mentioned, Ghostland. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm yeah. currently on his second book too. Uh, he, or not his second. He has uh, several other books, but uh, he has a, one called The Unexplained, which is essentially the same sort of thing, but with cryptids and UFOs and that sort of thing. Oh, God. Yeah, cool, See, right? I'm be buying more books. It's okay. fascinating stuff. He's, <laughs> and he's such a great writer, man. Uh, you. Are you a UFO guy too, by any chance? I love the idea of this sort of stuff. Yeah. I always have. You know, like, I, again, you know, grew up on Unsolved Mysteries, watched X-Files every week with my mom, uh, loved reading horror. You know, like once I ex- 
got exposed to Lovecraft at some point. I was like all in on the mythos. I, I love this stuff. And I listen to a lot of like conspiracy theory podcasts and that sort of thing. But I, I will say I am much more on the skeptical end of all this stuff. And I really think of it as a like, what does it mean that we see these things and like how, what is the storytelling that we're doing via these events that we claim to have seen or like things that we don't understand? How do we use those things to, to tell stories and whether that is to make sense of the world stories, like, you know, religion and, and uh, folklore, or if it's to, make a really kick-ass movie or cool book sort of storytelling because, you know, I mentioned Lovecraft, like the oldest and strongest form of uh, emotion of mankind is fear. The oldest and strongest form of fear is fear of the unknown, right? Like, I know I just butchered that quote, but like, that's, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. So playing with the unexplained, playing with those the, those things that go bump in the night and ideas of ghosts and demons and stuff, I just think is a, such a great way to tell all sorts of stories. And that's, that's what I like to do. So that's, that's why yeah. I love this stuff. That's it's a great, so rich. It's rich material, man. Yeah. And it's a great thesis for this episode because it really kind of hits home how I'm thinking about it. And, you know, it's, I saw a UFO once, and I'm still very skeptical about what I saw. <laughs> from, lower, from the roof of 12 Warren Street in Lower Manhattan, prior to them replacing it with an expensive condominium. <laughs> and it was well, weird. You know, like, it, it's so funny to me whenever somebody says, like, what do you... I've had people say, do you believe in UFOs? And I'm like, it's not a question of belief. UFOs yeah. are real. They're unidentified flying objects. Like, there are things that people have seen that they didn't know what they were. So, therefore... They are UFOs. Like, UFOs are real. Now, what do you think it is? That's where we open up this brave new world of, like, yeah. is it visitors from another planet? Is it, you know, visitors from our own planet who were here long before we were? Or <laughs> is it secret spy craft or a weather balloon? There's so much available to us in that, uh, that again, when, when things are shaded over, when, when, it's, when it's hidden in some way, it's... What's in the box? What's on the other side? What's like? What's beyond the veil? We all want to know, and we have so much opportunity to fill in those blanks, and in the filling in the blanks, like create our own narratives. And I love that. I, I love that. Anytime, anytime you see the monster, th th it's ruined to me. Like <laughs> if I knew oh, what yeah. a UFO was, like if we all knew what exactly what UFOs were, no one would have a UFO podcast. We wouldn't yeah. be talking about this. We'd it's the bored. mystery. That's yeah. what's so important about it. I mean, that's sort of where Lost fell apart, right? When we figured out what actually happened on the island back in the 70s. I, I never saw it, <laughs> oh, but like, I've, it. Heard, I've heard that. Because well, Abrams had that, that famous TED Talk where he's like, the mystery box, and I don't want to know what's in the box, right? So, yeah. But, but I, I understand everyone felt like your show jumped the shark when you opened the box. Like, don't like, open yeah. the box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm of the same mindset. Great. Well, um, Thank you for coming on to this podcast. I loved this conversation. Um, I'm going to jump on your tour this sometime. If not this, I don't know if you're doing them in September, but I'll definitely do the, do one in October for sure yeah, before this goes live. We're trying to run year round. Uh, that's oh, okay. kind of that's kind of tough with uh, you know New York City weather. Uh, but, you know, I get people around the holidays who are like, hey, we're going to be in town. We'd love to do a tour, but there's nothing listed. And we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll open something up. But we just didn't think anybody wanted to be out in the cold. Hey, do you have uh, any turn of the century Christmas massacres? No, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no Christmas ghosts. I wish I had uh, some more of that sort of stuff. But, yeah, like a, a Christmas-themed tour? No, unfortunately. But um, not that many stories. So... It's uh yeah we're gonna start trying to though because like it seems like people are always interested in this and there's always gonna be somebody who's willing to brave the elements no matter what is going on outside, and um, but especially through September and October all four of our tours are running uh, as often as we can as often basically as, as often as we have the guides available. Um, it is one of the nicer things about what we do is that we have 
actors who are our performers and so or our guides and we don't want to restrict them from you know like hey I, you know i got this reading opportunity so i have to rehearse three days next week yeah go rehearse like that's cool there's no tours on just we do no one really has like a set schedule it's like a hey i can do four nights this week awesome let's put them up let's try to get some bookings so right we we can be a little scattershot in that sense uh in terms of our availability but especially through september and october everybody knows everyone wants to take a ghost tour so we try to put up as much as we can Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.